Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. Our collect, that opening prayer of the Mass, directed our prayer and our meditation upon Scripture in this way. We prayed, Almighty and ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpass the merits and desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. So what did we pray for? We prayed for mercy, but also implicitly we prayed for justice. That's the thing that our conscience dreads to ask for. We want to see in this dark world like justice, um, but we know that if we ask just for justice, we who are sinners would be do it too. And so we ask for pardon. We ask for mercy, especially as then with our prayer today, as we're trying to do good works, as our colleagues said for today, we know we're going to mess up. And so we ask for mercy as we try to do what we're called to do. So what are we called to do? We get a glimpse as well in the midst of yes, uh, last week's readings with today is like joined together. What do we ask? We asked in the second reading last week to God stir up our hearts into flame. Help us be courageous with the gospel. Why? Because as we hear today, God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, has remained faithful to the Godhead. He has fulfilled justice to the Father so that we might receive mercy. And that is good news for us, but that's also good news that we should want to, as a good work, go and share. That, as we heard last week, we who are servants of the Almighty God, we with joy, like obliged to God whom we love, like should be wanting to do what he's called us to do to be co-redeemers with him, to be evangelizers, ones who go into the world with the gospel, who preach it in word and deed, so that a disordered world may be rightly ordered, so that the kingdom of God may be gloriously manifested. This is our calling. This is what we've been invited into. And we even get a little glimpse of it today in that first reading. What happens when you and I are the prophets we're supposed to be? We see it with Naaman. He's a commander. Note who Naaman is. He is a commander of a rival culture, a rival people that is not necessarily a friend of Israel. And he, 
through being washed in water and healed, which is a, a prefigurement of baptism, and where we will be healed of not just earthly things, but the most important thing, the thing which separates us from God. We will be forgiven of original sin so that we can be in the family of God. Naaman comes to be converted and to worship the one true God. And he brings his troops with him and all of them so they can see it too, that there is only one God to worship. This is what God wants for us too, to be prophets that can bring about conversion in other people's life, that can help, as our psalm said, all nations to know the saving power of God. The sad part is, as we look at the world, we know that not all nations know the saving power of God. In fact, nations that used to be Christian no longer know the saving power of God. A lot of us think of like old school, like Irish priests and how Catholics used to be, like Ireland used to be super Catholic. Not anymore. It's done. The faith is dead there. France, which used to be a bastion of Catholicity, done. Germany, done. This is why St. John Paul II called for the new evangelization. People have turned their backs on Christ. And thus nations no longer know the saving power of God. Our society, our world, rather than focusing on God, focusing on justice towards Him, ordering society so that others may come to know Him, love Him, and serve Him, our world turning their back, and individuals turning their back on God, focuses on self. We see an element of this in the gospel today. What happened? Ten diseased, leprous persons. And note well, like leprosy is a horrible thing in the ancient world. It's like you're basically the living dead. Like you are separated from your family, from your friends, from the temple. Like you are ostracized from everyone. And they receive a great healing. But only one, only one comes back to do justice to God. To love him. To thank him for saving him. This self-focus is a problem in every single age. It's been a problem since the fall, right? When Adam and Eve chose to do what they thought was right rather than listening to God. But it's a particular problem in our age. And it's especially sad, again, when we know the faith amongst us believers who are called again to go in peace, to reorder the world, to sanctify it so that others may know the saving power of God. But instead, our world, and even sometimes us, can be radically individualistic. Rather than caring about, or rather than being self-sacrificial, being giving like our God, we're selfish. We focus on like autonomy, me doing me, rather than trustful surrender to the authority, to God, and listening to him. We so often like seek to justify ourselves in our pursuit of pleasure, rather than caring first and foremost about justice towards God. And even going beyond justice, going to love of God and neighbor. This is what's behind like our consumeristic culture that John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Francis have all called out. We want what we want, how we want it, when we want it. It affects everything. It affects liturgy. It affects like marriages where the couples become selfish and it leads to like divorce. It affects like situations at work where people are just trying to like conquer the other person. They'll destroy the other person's reputation so that they can succeed. It goes with the consumerism that we have. We want more and more and more, more pleasures, how we want it, when we want it. It's a problem. And it all comes from losing sight of justice, particularly justice towards God and trying to build up a world where he's the focus, 
It's with that in mind that we are to be a people with right focus that bring that right focus to the world that I want to address how we are supposed to do that. I want to address how we are supposed to be faithful citizens. And in case, yes, you're guessing, yes, this is an election homily in a sense. Because we are to be the people like that are to go and change the world. And I mention this now because right now, right now is a good time because we're not in a highly contentious like presidential like situation. And thus like emotions aren't as high as they can be in those sorts of situations. And thus it's important now that we form our consciences well, that we form them rightly. Because as is often misunderstood, yes, we are supposed to follow our consciences, but as Pope St. Paul VI would say, and many other saints like John Paul II as well, yes, a people must follow their conscience, but, quote, provided they are properly formed. I mention this, again now, not just because we are going to be held accountable, not only if we properly formed our conscience, but as well, did we act rightly? Did we do justice to God? But I, I bring this up now because I care for you. And I want us all, as again, a people to respond well to who we're called to be. So what are Christians supposed to be doing? A lot of things. As faith-filled citizens, we are supposed to be letting, yes, our religion affect what we do in the world. And that's not only just in the voting booth, that's everywhere. That's all the stuff in between like elections. We believe that our faith must impact politics. What is the word politics? Politics is just a Greek word for polis, for the city. Our faith must impact the city of man. If it doesn't, the common good can never come about. Now what is the common good? That's a term that's sometimes thrown around. The common good, the church states, is not merely the sum of individuals having the particular goods that they want. No, the common good is about human flourishing. And this is not just talking about like economic worldly things. This is talking about human flourishing, which recognizes that we have an end. That that end is to meet our maker, and we hope that he says, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Human flourishing comes about when we recognize that we have to care for the entire human person, body and soul, that we have to have a society that recognizes God, the one true God, and everything in that society is ordered to caring and loving him and helping others come to know him and love him and serve him. If that's not what's done in a society, in a polis, then certainly it will lead to great corruption in that nation. It will lead to great to demonic forces being able to influence it greatly and it will lead to oppression of human persons and as well the stifling of human freedom. And so we need to look at what are the principles, particularly in the voting booth, that would guide us, that the church gives us. So first principle. We must never promote or directly vote for propositions or laws whose goal is to maintain or increase access to an intrinsic evil. Now let's pause real quick because we need terms. The church differentiates between intrinsic evils and those things of prudential judgment. What are intrinsic evils? Intrinsic evils are those things which always and everywhere, no matter what, are evil. They hurt people. A matter of prudential judgment is an area where the church sees there can be a, a difference of opinion on how we reach the good. 
And so there can be an area of debate. Let's look at where, what the church states are some prudent areas of prudential judgment. How we deal with immigration reform. How we deal with economics. How we deal with getting health care to people and especially having a preferential option for the poor. How we deal with school safety. How we deal with taxation. How we care for the environment. How we deal with prison reform. How we deal with dangerous criminals. What are matters of intrinsic evil? And before I launch into that, I want to recognize that these things that are intrinsic evils, these things that have like an ideology behind them, they affect probably all of us. Someone has a friend, a loved one, who maybe has bought into these ideologies. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But what I can say is that what the church teaches about these things comes from God, and it is true. And while sometimes it might be really hard to digest, my encouragement is go. Try to learn more. If it strikes a thing and you don't, like a nerve and you don't get it and you have a hard time believing what the church teaches, go study. As Fulton Sheen said, there are not like, uh, there are millions of people in the world who hate the Catholic Church for what they think the Catholic Church teaches, but there's not even a hundred who hate the church for what she actually teaches. Go learn what the church teaches. Because what the church teaches will bring about human flourishing. It will bring about freedom if we shape our society in accordance to the truths that Christ teaches. So what are intrinsic evils? There are a good amount. We're not going to deal with all of them. We're not going to talk about like cloning today. That's one. We're going to talk about four. And four that greatly impact often like us during election cycles. The first would be assisted suicide. There are those who think that it is okay to help a person kill themselves and commit suicide. We don't believe that as Catholics. We believe that every life is precious. And until God calls them home, we respect their dignity. And we help them live with dignity. And if anything, we help them recognize who they are. As John Paul II told us, that they are a person with great dignity. That as they suffer, like they can join that with Christ. They can be co-redeemers of the world. They can bring forth grace into it. We want to help them know that. And again, respect them and love them until God calls them home. The second intrinsic evil has to do with those who are trying to redefine marriage and deny what God has established. God has established that man and wife shall leave their mother and father and be joined together as one. And they will create a new family, a new body. Those who would espouse like same-sex marriage or polygamy or any of those things like are going against God. And we cannot support that. If anything, we, we recognize that this is like a, a demonic effort to try to destroy marriage. We heard it from St. Sister Lucia when Mary talked to her at Fatima. She said, the last thing that's coming before the end of the world, I'm not saying the end of the world's happening anytime soon. I don't know. That's God. He knows that. Is going to be an attack against marriage. Why? Because if the world has already been convinced by the devil that Jesus Christ is not God, that he's just a guru and he's got like a lot of nice things to say, the next thing he has to attack is the image of a loving God. And where is that found? In marriage. One person entirely loving the other person, the other person receiving that person entirely and loving them back, and a third person comes to be. That's not just how babies are made, that's an image of the Trinity. The devil wants to destroy that. Third, intrinsic evil, is the denial of the reality of the human person. And we find this within the transgender movement. We find that there's a notion that like body and soul are separated. And that like, that the body doesn't fully express the soul. When in reality, we as Catholics believe if you are a man or a woman, you have a male soul or a female soul. 
This notion that is being that the body and soul are separated is actually just an old heresy from the early, early church revisited. It's called docetism. And it's a very dangerous one, and this is why we have to care about this ideology and make sure that we oppose it. Because if Jesus Christ didn't assume a full human nature, if he didn't have a body and soul that were united, then all of human nature wasn't saved. If only his body died on the cross and not a human soul united to divinity, then none of us are saved. We're all still damned. That's the logical conclusion of what it would be if body and soul are separated from each other. Again, this is a demonic ploy to mock him. We cannot allow it. The fourth intrinsic evil that we would talk about today is one you know, you've heard. It's abortion. The thing that has been killing millions, 65 million plus children have been murdered by surgical abortion. And that's only surgical. In terms of chemical, since Roe v. Wade existed, it's probably about 140 million due to the pill and other chemical means. That is why the church has said it is the preeminent issue. No other intrinsic evil, nothing of prudential judgments matches that because it murders so many. It is the Holocaust of our times, and it is the, ma the matter that matters most. It is the subject that matters above all things. And so with that, let's go back to that principle. We can never vote for a proposal or a law which would directly maintain or increase an intrinsic evil. Never vote for assisted suicide. Never vote to maintain or increase same-sex marriage or polygamy. Never vote to maintain or increase transgenderism and its enshrinement in our society. Never vote to maintain or increase abortion. Second principle. We can never vote for a politician because that politician supports an intrinsic evil. That is, we can never vote for a politician because, specifically because they support assisted suicide or support like same-sex marriage or polygamy or support transgenderism or abortion. If we did, that is what's called formal cooperation with evil, and it is to commit a grave sin. It is, as St. Paul said today, to deny Christ, and Christ will have to judge us justly because he will not deny himself. The only way we could ever approach the Eucharist again is to repent and believe in the gospel and receive sacramental confession and absolution. Third principle, and this is the one where the rubber meets the road in many ways and affects our votes. We can never, or rather we cannot, vote for a candidate who supports an intrinsic evil like abortion merely because we agree with that candidate on other less important prudential judgments. Let me repeat that again. We cannot vote for a candidate who supports an intrinsic evil merely because we agree with that candidate on other less important issues of prudential judgment. Why is this? Our bishops tell us so. Quote, all issues do not carry the same moral weight. End quote. And they go on, though, still. Quote, the more we have a moral obligation to oppose policies promoting intrinsically evil acts, and it has a special claim on our conscience and our actions, end quote. Now this goes again for the voting booth, but it goes way outside the voting booth. All the things that we should be doing in our life, it has a special claim on our conscience and our actions. We are called to oppose intrinsic evils. If you haven't sensed it yet, 
These principles, especially in our time, are going to greatly restrict those we can vote for. And to put it in a positive way, they actually give us a true freedom to choose rightly. Now, while technically, we also, I should say that the church does say we can vote for like a third party, or technically, if you're like, I just can't vote for anybody, you could technically not vote. That being said, and this is purely Father David opinion right now, if the bishops just told us we have a moral obligation to oppose intrinsic evils, it doesn't seem congruent that we would not vote. And unless the, all the Catholics, which would be awesome, if we all like rallied together and started our own like third party, which would then, we'd have a huge voting block, and we could shift the whole landscape in our country, unless that's going to happen, like, I don't see how that's necessarily a great idea. Because we are called to be faith-filled citizens, and ones who by our vote, and all those things outside of our vote, help form a Christian culture, help limit evils, and again, help build up a culture where God may be known and worshipped. Unfortunately, because that's not the world we live in, we are left with two very flawed parties. Again, I mention all this now because these are the things we need to know, again, when, when emotions aren't running high. And these are the things we need to also remember when we get to, like, primaries and stuff like that. Primaries are immensely important because there we can shift whichever party it is. Like, we can, we can change the landscape of who would be there because we can vote in for people that maybe stand more with our faith. We can... And, and then, too, it's a reminder to us now that what, in between election times, we should be talking about the two things that the devil has convinced the world that we shouldn't be talking about, religion and politics, about God and how God is supposed to be in the midst of the city, that God is supposed to be out there like with us, and we are supposed to talk of him so that hearts and minds can change. Now, back to the principles. We heard that in our last principle, we cannot support a candidate with our vote who supports an intrinsic evil, especially abortion, that preeminent issue, merely because we agree with them on some lesser issue of prudential judgment. Here's the hard part. We know that there is a platform out there that is a proponent of redefining marriage and family, that is a proponent of redefining the human person and pushing for transgenderism, that is a proponent of assisted suicide, and that is, opponent, or that is trying to enshrine abortion and the killing of human children. According to Mother Church, guided by the Holy Spirit, persons and candidates that subscribe to this platform, unless there is a very specific situation, they cannot be voted for. So let's talk about that very specific situation. And again, I note this, that this can be in the primaries. I'm not talking bipartisan right now. It could be totally in one party that this sort of situation happens. Let's give three examples. Let's say one person over here subscribes to all four of those intrinsic evils that we've talked about. And the other person over here, maybe again of the same party, only like subscribes to abortion. If it's only those two, this is our person. Let's say this person over here subscribes to abortion and maybe, like, again, has some things wrong with them in regards to what we would say uh, that match, they don't match with the Catholic Church on prudential judgments. And this person over here subscribes to abortion and same-sex marriage and transgenderism. This person, as much as we don't want to support abortion, this is our person. Let's go with the last one, and this is the hard one. Let's say this person believes in abortion and enshrining that right. And this person doesn't, but yet they're a mess. 
and they don't believe in the things that we like believe as Catholics. They have problems with the death penalty, they have problems with immigration, maybe taxation, whatever. This is still our person. Now, what should we do? Because again, it's not just about votes. That's when we work within party lines. It's when we work, we write that person, we pray for them, we sacrifice for them. We work to change their mind and heart so that we can get better candidates, so they can build up a world that is more Christian. Again, this is what the church calls us to. Again, to respond to the great call that we have, that God has given us. The church has confirmed it. Popes have confirmed it. The Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith has said this is our duty to help, again, limit evils and to help build up a Christian world. Again, I share this not just because it's my duty to form your conscience as well, but again, because I care for you. And I desire you to become all that you could be. And so now, like with your consciences formed, as we go into an election cycle, but again, all, in all of our life, seeking to bring God into the world, let us strive to make sure that we, again, choose those candidates that would limit intrinsic evils in the world. And let us as well work in the world to change hearts, to bring other people to knowledge of the one true God. To help them know, like to, to do the work that sadly we wouldn't have been in this state if we had been doing, like talking of God in the world for decades before. But this is where we are. And so now, in addition to forming your conscience, may we be inspired to become again who we are called to be. A people of light, a people of truth, a people that are called to help others come to know the one true living God. So that we may build up a world where he, like justice is rendered unto him but more than justice, where he may be loved and served and others may become free and others may flourish because they know the one true God and the laws of a country, again, are focused on him. Let us respond to this call. Let us respond to our part that God has given us, our duty, our responsibility, our great adventure that he's called us on to help sanctify our world and our society. St. Anthony of Padua. Yes.